from the Transport Workers Union Air Division offices in Colleyville, Texas. It's the TWU Air Division podcast with Strategic Action Coordinator Brian Parker. Join Brian as he discusses issues that affect the careers and lives of Air Division members. Take it away, Brian. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Transport Workers Union Air Division podcast. Joining me today is Gary Peterson. Gary's the Air Division Director, and he's also an International Vice President. Thanks for joining me. Glad to be back, Brian. Good. I'm a little out of practice on podcasts, so uh, it's been a while since we've done one. Yeah, we're trying to get back on track. Hopefully, we can get going with these once a month and uh, just do an update on the Air Division. That's That's been the goal, but there's been a lot of moving pieces the last couple of months, obviously, and coming out of coronavirus and the airlines picking up steam and a lot of the business picking up steam. We've been pretty busy. A lot of moving pieces, uh, the puzzles on the table, we just need to put all the pieces back together. So hopefully we get that done in short order. Yep. So let's jump right in on what's going on in the air division. Uh, I know there were some elections recently, I believe local 525 down at Cape Canaveral and uh, 556 over at Southwest. Yeah, we had several elections, uh, actually three over at Southwest. Lynn Montgomery was unopposed and she's been reelected as president there and has a new board and pretty excited about that group getting back together. We actually had them in D.C. along with 555, uh, Randy Barnes and his group. Randy's a new president and swore all those officers in just recently. We opened up our new office in D.C., moved from one location to another. And and so uh, that was good to have folks back together face-to-face. We're going to be doing that more often. And uh, we also had the election for our instructors over there. Robert Vasquez was elected the president there. And then Kevin Smith down at the Cape. Kevin's been a longtime president down there. Kevin Smith was reelected down at Cape Canaveral at our, at our NASA unit down there. Good. Congratulations to all the new officers. I'm sure they'll do great. Okay. On the uh, American Airlines side, I know that uh, we had an arbitration recently. Uh, you actually sat on the board for that arbitration. I was one of the witnesses. When do you expect we'll hear something back on that arbitration? Yeah, that was the fleet service crew chief arbitration and how the company's trying to or has moved some management folks into what we believe are crew chief positions. And uh, we should be getting a decision hopefully in August. That was a pretty extensive arbitration, went over a couple of days, and I think our group did very well. So we're just waiting on the arbitrator on that. On the M&R side, we're working on getting a few cases scheduled. Unfortunately, with with <laughs> seems like the history with American, we arbitrate more often than we should. But that's just something that runs uh, with that company that way. Yeah, nothing's easy, is it? No, nothing is ever easy at American. Uh, some of the other carriers are, are much more apt to use logic than arbitration. Yeah, I hear you. So speaking of carriers, what's going on? Uh, we'll start with Alaska Airlines. So our, our dispatchers over at Alaska, they just agreed a 90% right in that at general area to a contract extension for a year. Glad to see that was accomplished. Uh, the company... Again, Alaska did a really good job of, of working with our local president there and, and with myself to come up with something that the membership would overwhelmingly ratify. And uh, we made five gains contractually that were in the best interest of our membership that the company agreed to, as well as uh, money for them for the year and picked that back up with Section 6 next year. Sounds good. What about JetBlue? JetBlue are still in negotiations. You know, during COVID, there was a proposal we none of us knew where COVID was going to go. So we went ahead and, and put a TA on, on the table. Remember, this is the first contract for that group. Right. So we, we bargained to a point where uh, just before the holidays, we reached tentative agreement. The membership there didn't agree to the terms. And, and I think a big part of that is because we started to see a transition 
from where the industry was during the COVID crisis to where it's coming out of it. Uh, so we're back bargaining with them and, you know, we'll, we'll work on another tentative agreement. But first contracts are always the hardest. Expectations from the group are high and obviously expectations from the company are to remain as close to what they currently have and not embedded in the contract. So we're fighting with them to, to get the contract, the membership, membership there will ratify and eventually we'll get there, but it's going to have to be the right deal. And, and again, coming out of COVID, there's going to be some things that they need to really look at uh, from where we were before and, and move it forward. Yeah, I know that JetBlue is trying to uh, establish themselves as one of the big boys. The getting the major leagues, you got to pay major league uh, salaries and you know and have gains in the contracts. Yeah, and again, you know they're they got a partnership with American now, and and you know that's a big piece of this is they you hit it on the head. They want to start flying to London, or they're going to start flying to London, and. What our flight attendants there deserve is something different than what they're offering, and and that's a big piece of this puzzle. You know, we're not gonna we're not gonna agree to takeaways in a contract when the industry's looking up, and our flight attendants should be able to look at it and see positives for why, you know, they're they're engaged in these negotiations. Right. So, what about Coletta? Coletta Air again, another dispatch group that we organized not too long ago, doing a great job over there. Really proud of the group that we have in that negotiations as well. The management team there, again, different than some that we see, has been pretty receptive to logic, to getting to an agreement. So that that was a good sign. Initially, you know, I had some concerns um, just based on what I had heard, but uh, been productive negotiations there, and hopefully we'll get to a tentative agreement as well soon. Sounds good. Okay, now let's move on to Republic. So Republic's negotiations, uh, again, this is another group that We've been in negotiations for through the COVID crisis, and uh, unfortunately, management there just still doesn't see the light on on where things are now going. They had an opportunity to reach tentative agreement. We thought we had a tentative agreement. They held a letter that they believed on dispatching over our heads and and walked away from the table. And now we're back at the table, coming out of COVID and trying to get an agreement on where they were pre-COVID, which just simply isn't going to happen. Again, I think. The carriers need to recognize, and, and hopefully the membership understands, our objectives pre-COVID and not knowing what things might look like in the future are dramatically different six, eight months later. And, and that's the danger in the ebb and the flow of negotiations is you just don't know what tomorrow is going to bring or, or when we're going to come out of something like this. We had some very skilled economic folks that we worked with throughout the Air Division, which worked with us to make sure we were tracking along on what we thought would be the right trajectory to come out of COVID. I mean, it looks like we're, we're right in line with what we had been talking to our negotiating teams about. And thankfully, it looks like that's going to stick and hold and things are going to continue to improve. Domestically, I think we're in great shape. And that's where the regionals and especially the cargo side are, the demand is super high, where the domestic side of the you know major airlines or the international, like an American they're doing well. The international service is going to start coming back. And that's part of why I was glad to get American contracts completed. And now we can start to focus on some of these other groups that went into Section 6 during America's negotiations. And clearly the industry is in a place that should be a benefit to all of us. Well, no single carrier singled out, but they should all realize that there's a lot of competition for jobs out there now, or I should say a lot of availability for jobs. So, I mean, if they're trying to nickel and dime negotiations, people are going to go elsewhere. That is a fair statement. And I'll 
just raise this one with for our membership at Envoy. The expectation for Envoy is Americans starts to focus on what they need to do when it comes to the economics. I know we've been in that negotiations a while, and we're not going to settle that negotiations out until our membership there gets paid what they rightfully deserve. And again, we understand it's not going to be at the same rate or the same scale as American because of the dichotomy between the airlines. But they are part of American, and, and we're just not going to look at the group as secondary to anyone out in the industry. They deserve the best in the regional space. So when it comes to regional carriers, our belief is that the company hasn't come to the table with anything close to what our membership deserves, and we're not going to settle for a contract that doesn't get them what they rightfully deserve. And at Envoy, you mentioned negotiations. That's for fleet and maintenance, correct? Yeah, fleet mainly is where we've been in the economic piece of it. In fact, that negotiations have been going a lot longer. And so we're at a point now where we've reached out, you know, we're ready in mediation. We're ready to move that into the next steps, hopefully, and get the board more actively involved. Uh, that takes the mediators and the board, you know, being willing to do that. So I've put a letter out to the Envoy membership, kind of explaining the process, no different than we had at American, to make sure the membership's aware of how the process works. But we're moving it. I believe we've kind of stagnated. We're at a, a standoff, so to speak. We're not going to move to the wages that they're putting on the table. And we've put those wages out to the Envoy members so they understand where the company's proposing they are. And we've put the, you know, the information out on the wages that we've proposed to the company as well. So the memberships see in the optics of the difference between where we are and where they are. And again, to your point, in some locations, they want to pay less than working at McDonald's. And nothing against the folks at McDonald's. That's great that they're paying $15 an hour in most places or Amazon, when Envoy as a carrier comes in and wants to pay less than those things, it is, it's just a slap in the face to everybody that works in the industry. And somehow they think they can get away with that. And as far as I'm concerned, from my leadership perspective and our leadership as an organization's perspective, we're not going to settle and we're going to take them to task. And whatever it takes at the NMB to get to the contract they rightfully deserve, then that's the path we're taking. But we also need the board to step in and participate in the process and, and put something on either the carrier or us to explain why they think that $12 an hour in a place like Raleigh Durham, you know, a satisfactory wage or the living wage ordinance, let's just use LA. That's the scale for everybody that works there. Right. So, you know, Brian, you work on the ramp. Good example. It's not an easy job. So if you had the choice between working on the ramp in LA or working upstairs, so to speak, in, in one of the stores in air conditioning for the same amount of money, logic says you're going to take the other job. Or if you have the badge and, and other carriers are there saying, hey, come over and we'll start you here and then the scale will go up from there, logic says you're going to take a different job. That's where we're at with, the, with Envoy. Envoy wants to pay a flat wage in LA, and that's the living standard wage that's required by the airport. Nothing more, nothing less, no matter how long you've been there. That just isn't going to work. Well, you mentioned standing strong and, you know, and fighting for what we deserve in these contracts. The Transport Workers Union is not shy about going to, to battle for their members. No, and we're going to call on, on everybody to support the Envoy membership when push comes to shove, just like we did at American. And, and that needs to happen. The only, our strength is our unity between all our groups, whether it be flight attendant, mechanic, fleet service, instructor, any group that's out there, our fueling group, whatever group we represent. We'll show up and we'll fight. And that's why it's so important for us to understand what's going on within the other groups within the air division. And then as we, you know, progress, I mean, we support transit and, and rail whenever we need to, and they always come out and support us. That's a big piece of this. 
we always see transit and rail supporting the air side. So it's, it's critical. Hopefully we don't get to that point. The summer travel expectancy, again, is high. And I think most of the regionals, because they, they're dragging their feet on these negotiations, are ill-prepared. You saw this at DFW. They took uh, 150 people from Envoy, hired them at American. Now Envoy's trying to hire people, and I think they're taking about 100 more over to American on the fleet side. Well, again, when you're offering bare bones wages to be a fleet service clerk at Envoy or work in Amazon and air, an air-conditioned facility, what's the draw to work at Envoy? There is no draw. You're outside, you're in 100 and some odd degree temperatures, you're busting your butt, and there is no incentive to do that. Now, to go back to the mechanics side, we just got into the mechanics negotiations, and hopefully they don't go down this road with the mechanic group. You know, again, two separate negotiations similar to what we did at American. But if they go down that road with the mechanic group, then we're going to be right back where we were last year when they were complaining about how they can't get anything, or two years ago when they, they're complaining, people are pissed, they're tired. They're tired of hearing why they can't pay them the wages that they rightfully deserve. And they're not going to settle. And, and, and I will tell you that membership at Envoy, the fleet service membership, their total question to me is, how do we go on strike? I have to explain the process to keep them from doing something could be construed as a job action because they're so frustrated. The, the process favors the airline. The airline can go into a courtroom and say, we're doing this. We're not doing anything. People are just tired. They're frustrated. They're pissed off. But they love working in the airline industry. But people are starting to leave because they see opportunities elsewhere that pay better. Some of the airlines haven't figured that out yet. And that's a problem. And, and the sooner they do, the better off the passengers will be. But until they do that, the passengers are going to suffer. And, you know, it'll be, it'll be a mess again this summer because their lack of planning is not our problem. That's what management's supposed to do. And they're doing a poor job of it. And that goes back to the leadership stepping up to the table and saying, how much are we looking at paying these folks? And does that compare to the outside world outside of the airport? An analogy, baseball, you got the major leagues and you got the minor leagues. You don't have a strong World Series championship team without a good minor league, you know, to, be, to bring players up. These mainline carriers have to understand they rely on the feeders, not necessarily even just for the workers, for the passengers as well. Because if you can't get these people from these spoke cities to the hub cities and get them there on time, get them there safely, you, you don't have a mainline. Yeah. So again, let's just parallel off that statement. And I think it's important. So Southwest does a great job of moving their passengers because it's all inter interconnected to their, their structure and their, their system. When I look at American, and that's that, let's just focus on Envoy for a second. The reason they can't compete against Delta, and a lot of times they don't compete against United, is their own internal failure to recognize that without Envoy's passengers connecting quick, without having that connection, and without their bags connecting quick, or their maintenance playing into, their maintenance program playing into getting the passengers from point to point to get on that flight, that's why we wind up with so many misconnected passengers and bags is because it's a, it's a revolving door. People come in, they look for another job on the airport somewhere else, and then they go there, and it's just revolving right now. It's like a car wash, right? It spins around. And they can't figure that out in management. Why, why, doesn't, why, do we, why is our performance off? No stability. It's right there in front of them. They just don't want to accept the facts. A few dollars more per hour, and you'd be the number one. Again, they're stepping over dollars to pick up nickels, and they don't see it. And you know what? I blame the leadership for 
looking at it and saying, well, again, those people over there, no, those people over there are part of your system. And your system has fundamental breakdowns because you don't have it working the way it should work. And whether we like it or not, it costs money to do this job. And if you have the choice between working in an air-conditioned facility that you pull up to the door, you walk in, you clock it in, you go do the work, or driving to the airport, getting on a bus, not getting paid, clocking in, doing your job out in sweltering heat or freezing cold, depending on where you might be, and then getting on a bus and going back out, you're going to choose the other job every time, unless you incentivize them with what? Money. If money is good, I'm going to do those things. We, we see that with the contract at American. The money's right. good. People are a little more apt to accept a little bit of that back and forth that they have to do. But if the, if it would be no different if the choice was to work somewhere else or go through all those steps in America and wasn't paying the right amount of money. And the regionals, yeah, that, they may be considered tier-wise a tier feeder, but that doesn't mean the work they don't do isn't just as important. And when it's a passenger service industry or when you're, you're your customers matter that much, then you better focus on your customers. And you can keep stuffing your management people's pockets with money, or you can put your money where your passengers will want to fly you again. And that's in your worker's pocket. And it's not, we're not talking millions of dollars from, so to speak, in, in our pockets individually. It might cost millions of dollars collectively to get the performance you expect out of people because they want to come to work and they want to do the job. Well, you mentioned they're important. Like you said, every, every bit is important because oftentimes that's the first point of contact. You know, people are getting on these regional airlines out of their city, and sometimes that's the last impression they get from the airline is getting back home. So we both agree they're every bit as important. Let's move past just specific airlines. I know you've ran through the ones that are in negotiations. Is there any more? Uh, that, not that I can think of off the top of my head. Let's talk big picture from your perspective. What's going on with the industry as a whole? Yeah, so again, the industry as a whole, I mean, is, is in recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. And again, everybody recognized, and I, I got to give labor the credit and, and the work that was done by a lot of our folks to make sure that the membership was protected throughout, you know, the, the COVID timeframe. But now we're coming out of that, the airline's coming out of that, things are starting to look up. And, and I can already start to hear the noise in the background of senior leadership talking about, well, we had to borrow this much money to get us through. Okay. I want to make one point very clear. They haven't paid wages to any of us during that time. So don't blame us about why you needed to borrow money. You should have been out going to your, uh, the people you, other people you work with to figure out how to, how to get them to soften your problem. We solve their problem as unions. We went to the government and we got the industry paid. So don't come to us telling us about your problems outside of what we do, because those are your internal problems that you didn't take the time and go, man, again, it's back to management. So we're not looking for anything more or less than what we deserve, but I'll be damned if we're going to go across the table and hear about your problems and why we should take less. We're done taking less and hearing the problems of why management didn't or hasn't managed the business properly. So our folks are going to get paid. They're going to get good contracts, they're going to get good benefits, and they're going to enjoy coming to work to the best of their ability and be comparative and want to be at work. This, this is an industry where people like working in the industry. I've never seen as many people leaving the industry to go take other jobs 
and these are younger folks. The, the folks that have been around a while, we're, we're kind of set in our ways. This is what we do. This, you know, opportunity-wise, we're where we need to be. But the newer folks, they're not sticking around. They're looking at this as, as, as just another thing. And again, the airlines haven't figured out that if your passengers aren't happy, or maybe that's the new, the new way we do business is, you know, the race to the bottom again. doesn't matter if they're happy. They just got to buy a ticket. Well, somebody's going to figure out Delta has figuring out if we pay a little bit more and we, we do what we're supposed to do with our passengers, they'll keep coming back. And again, Delta's paying good wages to their folks. And the other airlines, some have taken note of that and actually have spoken to that. And then there's a few. Unfortunately, they're mainly tied to American that haven't figured that out yet. And I don't know if it's American driving that or if it's the regional, you know, their subsidiaries and they're, they're all fighting for the scraps. But at the end of the day, if American doesn't figure out a way to compete against United and Delta, then we all suffer. And, and that goes back to the only people that are, are running that side of the business are the senior leadership. So I agree. And I know you mentioned uh, you got the big three, Delta, United, American, uh, Southwest being, you know, basically big four airlines. There's a drastic difference with Delta. Now, you mentioned they pay good wages and people get blinded by the wages. But there's a stark difference between Delta and the other three carriers. And that's a heavily unionized workforce. So go ahead and expand on the difference. Yeah, they might be getting that big wage, which is what blinds people. But what's the real difference between them and the rest? Yeah. So again, Delta, obviously Delta being non-union in, in a lot of the areas of the company, they have, they have the flexibility to do what they want and, and tell their employees how it's going to go and, and those types of things. But th- that's still, again, American and, and United. American's been number one many, many times in my career. United's been number one many, many times in my career and with all heavily unionized workforces when we just talk United Delta American. The difference is leadership. And leadership is not listening to the unions. Again, this falls back to when you blind yourself and you, you, you turn a blind eye and you don't listen to the frontline workforce, uh, you say you do or you're willing to, but you actually don't listen and hear what they're saying, then you fail. And that's the difference. And I think, you know, again, that's on someone else to start paying attention to what's going on. I've worked under many CEOs at American myself, and I've watched different leadership styles. I hear a lot of, we hear you, we hear, we hear you, we hear you. DFW is a great example of that. Yet nothing changes and, and they, we hear you, but we're not changing anything to, to make things flow better for the passenger when we're telling them what's broken. That's a failure on senior leadership. Again, you can keep changing people out, but until you start listening and you start paying attention and you start producing for the passenger, we know where the problems are. And if you're not willing to listen, then at some point we just quit talking about it and, and we wind up where we were before with a battle that really doesn't need to have to happen on a local level. But it, I think it's happening. And again, I'm not far, that far away from you know, the membership to say I see it happening quite a bit inside specifically American. I don't, I, we have our problems at other airlines, don't get me wrong, but they're not as amplified. They take care of their business internally, they figure out solutions, and then they move forward. A good example of that is how quickly uh, Lynn wrote a letter to Gary Kelly over at Southwest. Almost within hours, Southwest came back and said, we're not going to have alcohol service. That was one of the things that Lynn put in. They, they, they interact and they listen, and they do, because they know when they do that, then their employees, our membership, have a positive reaction on what's going on in the workplace. You guys make suggestions. We make suggestions. I was a local president, and, and I've been in this for many, many years where when you have a group that listens to your suggestions and works with you on some of them, 
and they actually apply those, things go a whole lot better. When they just dismiss you, or they ignore you, or they just follow their direction, then the failures happen. And those failures fall on leadership. Ryan, you're familiar with this. It's similar at DFW, Greg Cozy, the president there of Local 513 for, for America and the Fleet Service Group, right? He, he's, he sent letters to the senior leadership of American, Doug Parker, Robert Isom, and I'm copied in on those, and he's doing a great job. You guys are doing a great job of saying, hey, these are the, these are the things that are wrong, and yet th- there's nothing back. And, and again, if, when senior leadership just ignores, again, I'm using this as the, the, the difference between two carriers that we represent, right? When they just ignore you, at some point, you, you just turn them off and, and you become separated from what they are. And they become, they, they've, let me say it this way. They've already become separated from us. Their goal was to get to this contract, fight, 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 fight. And then finally, we got a contract. And, and since the contracts come in place, it's back to fight, 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 fight. I hate saying that, but instead of moving forward, nothing's changed. All, all I see from our side of the table is where we made gains in the contract. In fact, let me, let me, let me say it this way. The gains in the contract, I've heard from our reps that are engaged in these conversations. I'm not in that meeting anymore, but, but for, I, I have constant conversations with our guys. Them saying, well, we'll just take that to arbitration and take our chance. That's nonsense. That's what we bargained for. So the, the, again, you can't get in arbitration what you didn't bargain for in negotiation. That grievance that I sat on the board for, that's a perfect example of they want to play with words and see if they can get an arbitrator to rule their way. He may or she may rule their way. What does that do for the floor in the workforce? Again, I, I got an old saying that, that I'll just use here. When we arbitrate cases against the company when it comes down to it, we win if we win. We win if they lose because they lose the, their employees. They're not listening to little things that make everybody's lives and the operation flow more smoothly. And that's a problem. Now, if it's a big issue, and we're talking about something that, that is just, you know, a, a massive thing, then we should be arbitrating. I look at other airlines, because that's the role I play in now, and I don't see nearly the number, not even anywhere near the number of contract cases coming out of any airline like American does. And Doug Parker talked about world-class employee relations. He still hasn't made a change in employee relations to deliver that. And that's on him. That's on the leadership. And that's on those people he puts in position to say, are we really in world class? I'm not seeing it. And I'm not, I'm again, I'm not shy about this, but I don't want to focus on American because, but what I should focus on is the other airlines that do a hell of a job in working with unions leaders to have a relationship that works. That doesn't mean it's kumbaya and cupcakes every day, but that works that says, you know, that makes sense. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll agree with you on that. That really doesn't make sense. Is there something we can come up with as a solution? And that every once in a while, there's an arbitration. This is a fight. And it's a day-in, day-out grind. And they'll never win because it's just like a war. It's a war of attrition. People get tired and we change people out. But there's another person stepping up to do the job. And there's way more people on this side that are frustrated than there are over at headquarters or in these leadership roles that think they have all the answers. But it comes down to that passenger. What do they see, feel, and what's their experience? And it's not good. What I hear from our members all the time is, is senior leadership is just tone deaf. You know, they come to work every day. They work hard. They want to do a good job. They see our passengers suffering, not a better product. And, you know, they raise concerns. They speak up. And it seems like that everything falls on deaf ears. Yeah, and I guess that's, that's, uh, that's a 
big part of my frustration. I, I'm, I'm, I've said this a few times recently. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of being mad. I'm, I'm beyond the point of mad. I'm just, I'm, I'm wore out from being mad. So now I'm just frustrated with, with all the nonsense that goes on. And, and again, it's all about, you know, listening more and talking less um, when you're in a lot of the roles, even my current role, I have to listen a lot more and, and I give a lot of guidance. I, you know, I try to give my view based on my knowledge and history, but it's a lot more guidance, not me telling people what I, I, they should go do. And that's, I think a big part of the problem we have is I'm not sure we have that same, you know, same level of connection anymore for many, many years. Again, I'll use American where that's what we're talking about here is that this theory of we hear you we did surveys we we understand yet it, it, i don't think it's any better today than it's been in the last since the beginning of the merger and, and that's a shame because you're never going to beat your competition unless you start listening to the people that really do the work i believe the last survey that american did and maybe want the one prior uh, they surveyed the their team as they call them you know the workers and i don't believe american would ever release that data did you ever hear anything back? I know we pressed at the state of the airline and I think it's pretty evident. They know what everybody thinks, but it goes down to, I don't believe they care. Well, again, you start, uh, actions speak louder than words and you start showing people that you're willing to make a difference and do things differently and, and things can change and, and no different than in our organization. I mean, we've had a lot of change and I'm willing to listen to leadership on what we need to change, meaning our local leadership from the air division perspective. Talk to me, tell me what we need to do. That comes from, that should be coming from the membership, right? Hey, we see this, or we think this, or we feel this. What about, can you guys do? And it, again, if, if we have that, that's what makes us stronger. That's why, it, that's why we're in a union. I mean, is to unify one another and strengthen one another. It's the we, not me. Right. Well, I appreciate you joining me. Before we go, is there anything else? No, like I said, I just hope we can get back to doing this on a monthly basis. Well, yeah, I have a commitment to do my best to make that happen. Okay, I want to thank everybody for listening. We are coming off the trailing edge, hopefully the trailing edge of this pandemic. Everybody needs to take care of each other and be safe. If you're down at NASA or if you're with one of the airlines or any of the members we represent, uh, you are appreciated and everyone have a great day. For more information about the TWU Air Division, visit our website at TWU.org forward slash divisions. To comment on this or any of our podcasts, email us at airdivisionpodcast at TWU.org. You can listen, download, and stream episodes of our Air Division podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, your favorite Android podcatcher, or your RSS feed-enabled browser. Air Division podcast episodes are also available to stream and download from our website, podcast.twu.org. Music provided under license by Pond5.com. TWU Air Division podcast is produced and engineered by Tommy Ingle.